Hello and welcome to Heineken Rugby Weekly on the 42.ie. Every week we bring you behind the lines with expert analysis, tactical insights and engaging conversation around the international and club season. Our expert analysts will ask the hard questions and answer any you might have. Each Thursday we'll also have a feature interview with some of the biggest names and most interesting characters in the game. Gary Ringrose coming up later on in the show. Uh, if you want to get more from that game, join Heineken Rugby Club, whose members enjoy exclusive rewards like match tickets and more. Visit heinekenrugbyclub.com and remember to enjoy Heineken responsibly and visit drinkaware.ie on how to do so. Gavin Casey here and I'm joined in studio by Murray Kinsella of the 42.ie. How are you, Murray? I'm good, Gavin. Thanks. Good. Th- I'm good as well. Thank you. Yeah. And <laughs> we're also joined by Andy Dunn. We've essentially colonized at this stage uh, the fourth consecutive week that you're here Andy and it's great to have you how are you it's great to be here <laughs> okay enthusiastic yeah <laughs> it's <a> big weekend. <laughs> right so before the uh, accusations of bias and um, and hating one of the four provinces or all of them as it tends to be sometimes we're going to go in chronological order today mm, so we can't sense. be accused of anything that, that, that's that's fair I yep. think we're going, to, we're going to kick off... Chronological, but start with Leinster, or...? <laughs> <laughs> we're, going to, we're going to start with, uh, with Munster, um, away to Gloucester. But firstly, let's look back on what was, uh, I think, their best performance of the season, probably the most complete performance of the season anyway. The first thing I want to ask you is, Murray, in your um, expert opinion, what was it that kind of came together for them that hasn't been coming together, uh, I suppose, throughout the season so far? Well, it's... Secured a bonus point. Obviously, that's the 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 big talking point out of it, and how their attack functioned. Um, there were obviously several elements to it. The, the mall was really excellent. The forwards gave a really good platform there. Their kicking was really smart. They put themselves into good positions uh, and pressured the Connacht line out deep in Connacht's half, as well as actually kicking down the tram lines and forcing Connacht into touch a couple of times. Before Peter Manny's try that happened, Alex Wooten puts the ball down the 15 metre, they force Quaylen Blade in. And then just before Joey Carberry's try, something similar, Blaindal hits him. We'll talk about that 10-15 link maybe a little bit more. Um, but Carberry puts it down the left-hand tram line again and they force Matt Healy into touch. They score from that, that five metre line out. So really smart in that aspect of it. And also when they were on the ball, actually their handling and stuff, the skill level was really good. And on top of that, like Carberry has deservedly got plenty of credit for his performance, but I thought guys around him made it a lot easier for him. Um, and I think the Peter O'Mahony try in the first half is a really good example of that because, you know, Chris Farrell makes a good carry in midfield. Carberry's actually on the far side of the ruck. He's coming around the corner. Um, and in the while, like, while that's happening, Earls and Conway on the other side of the ruck are organising themselves. There's a bit of chat. You can see it on, on, on one of the replay angles. Um, and it's a simple bit of movement. You know, Andrew Conway running a really good front door line to the inside shoulder of Quaylen Blade and Earls at the back door. Just a, a little bit of a different picture for the Connacht defence and it worked really well. So therefore, Carberry comes around the corner that bit of shape is organised outside him and then he gets to use his really good decision-making skills, draws up Jack Carthy, really fluent pass out the back and they they finish the try really well. So those kind of things were, were really impressive um, and I think it's just great to see that Earl's increasingly, particularly um, him coming off his wing um, and making those decisions is a really good uh, development for them in attack. Um, and even if Conway is back on the wing, he, he was really good at fullback, I felt. But even if he's back on the wing, you'd love to see a bit more of that from Munster. So definitely encouraging signs uh, in, in all those aspects. Yeah, Andy, we've been waiting for it for quite a while and we've probably bemoaned it as well ourselves. Uh, just that maybe things weren't as, as fluid as they might be. Maybe they were struggling with their identity a little bit. But whether it was the um, introduction of Farrell or whether it was just a case of things clicking finally, they looked fairly well oiled. They did, yeah. And I thought 
uh, the variation was was probably one of the key things. We we they didn't pigeonhole themselves into saying we're going to play an attacking handling game, we're going to play a territorial kicking game. They did a bit of both. Um, they did very well. Then finally, I think as Murray mentioned, their their energy levels, like their work rate off the ball, away from the action area. 40, 50 metres away from where the action is at and where the camera is focused. Guys are getting into positions um, early. They're getting into positions that are have a lot of width, which then ask questions of the Connacht defenders who are off the ball. Are, are they going to mark up those guys? Or are they going to stay narrow? Um, and when you add in the likes of Earls, who, as, as a, get, a winger who's in the autumn stroke winter of his career, would say, um, I do remember... Dennis Hickey having a very similar kind of evolution. He he his transition from being a, a great finisher and young fast winger to being a mature guy who moves from the wing more into midfield to get involved and take on responsibility. And um, towards the tail end of Dennis's career, you couldn't get him out of first receiver. You know, maybe because <laughs> he'd lost the yard of pace, but um, that's probably unfair. But uh, <laughs> but I think. Keith Earls is, is really taking on that role and it's brilliant for the likes of Carberry as a young 10 who is is also developing, albeit super talented, um, to get guys out wide taking on responsibility and decision making and, and work rate. That adds huge value to the attack and that's why I think it looked very fluent. Mm. And um, we've spoken about it, you spoke yeah. about Andy, about them kind of discovering their identity as a yeah. team and potentially that is it. Like, you know, obviously Carberry is going to grow uh, in terms of his confidence in that decision-making as he matures, he's, mm. he's a young out-half. But it doesn't necessarily have to be him. You know, it can be other playmakers in the back line that make life easier for him. And that's part of, we like, we, we harp on about that identity. It all sounds very American. You know, it's it's monster rugby and they're not going to love those type of comments, I suppose. But but that's what it is. I mean, it, the, the, the idea that they have a, a structure where Joey runs everything is is not smart. It's not his personality, but it's also different to the history of how they've run things. They've generally run things through a hierarchy, through a, a, a big, well-established leader and a 10 like O'Gara. So now that's going to be different with Ronan if the, or with Joey. And if that's the case, the wider guys like Earl's coming in and sharing responsibility, um, diluting the role of of Joey's decision making to a point is probably very effective. Yeah. Mm. It's gonna be really interesting this like this Friday evening in, in Gloucester in King's home, whether that clear development and that clear encouraging performance develops again. And um, there's still bits in it. There uh the I'm thinking of the Dan Goggin try. Like a really nice try. Uh again, Earls is really influential, cutting back in against the grain underneath the rook. You're seeing a lot of guys do that now and, and kind of picking off kind of uh, switched off defenders on that side but even when they go through he offloads Farrell offload to, to Wooten and then in behind the line it's happened a couple of times now where they kind of run away from their support so there's probably still that I don't know it's probably a horrible position to be in in behind mm. the line when you make a line break and you're like what am I going to do next Yeah, yeah. but I think with the little bit of extra confidence they've built from the last two weeks I was down there on Monday at the press conference and like obviously like there's a high energy in, in any professional rugby environment but it was really positive much more so than when we'd been down earlier in the season uh, suddenly there's that confidence in people's steps even the way they're talking about the game Peter O'Mahony smiling in press conferences we've never Peter seen Peter O'Mahony like smiling yes crazy <laughs> members like the like of it <laughs> um, so yeah it, it just feels like there's a, a little bit of a weight kind of lifted there and, and there's a, a confidence in it and that just floods into everything you know the set piece stuff hasn't really clicked just yet but 
potentially that's the next element of it uh, now that the, the the players themselves believe a little bit more in what they're doing and then in behind the line maybe taking those chances a little bit better they did finish it well in fairness Byrne makes a good run after Conway makes a good clear out his work off the ball as you mentioned yeah. was was brilliant and then a lovely uh, decision from Matthewson so there's plenty there to be uh, encouraged by but still um, I think this weekend will, will tell a, a truer tale of it yeah well he made a massive impact at the weekend and uh, was a doubt for uh, Gloucester but Chris Farrell starts for Munster it's a big boost Murray mm, he was a major doubt uh, Munster played this one pretty well Johan van Grant seemed very crestfallen there Monday talking about it um, and all the word was that he was going to be set for another spell on the sidelines fantastic news for him first of all so happy for the the guy it's been a horrible time for him with injuries and his career indeed especially early on was really uh, stunted by injuries as well so great to see that he's been cleared and it does mean that we can get uh, a better sense of Munster's attacking continuity, building on what we saw last weekend, what we've just mentioned, um, and in terms of what he gives them both physically and in, in, in being a bit of a kind of playmaker and distributor as well. Even his organisation against Connacht, you could see him in behind some of the forwards at times, just putting a bit of shape on the attack um, and communicating well with other guys. Uh, so that's a, a huge boost for Munster, Unfortunately, Chris Clute is going to miss out with his with his neck injury, but um, Tommy O'Donnell was really good, I thought, last weekend. So certainly a big positive in, in the midfield. Yeah, for sure. The, before we kind of look um, any further into that uh, fixture in King's home, a question here from... Actually, the, the standard of questions, again, extraordinarily high this week, Murray. Superb. We've had a look through them. Um, yeah, there was one about, are you wearing a cardigan? Uh, <laughs> oh, sorry. Yeah, I forgot about that one. Uh, who asked that? Joe... 90. You do have um, a trademark cardigan. It turns, it turns out that restraining orders don't apply to Instagram. <laughs> uh, by the time you listen to this, Joe, uh, I suppose we've been guard of custody, but uh, thanks for <laughs> tuning in nonetheless. A uh, question here from Jaglin White. He asks, Monsters centres, who the hell do you choose? Just how good is Dan Goggin at the moment? I mean, you touch upon him there, Murray, and uh, a fine finish by him at the weekend. Yeah, he had a really good performance. Um, he's nice and direct and powerful uh, through the tackle. Um, I think... He, He's, again, probably still learning at this highest level. Um, you even think of his pass against Leinster. You don't want to focus too much on one moment, but playing off a scrum and it's a forward pass into touch. Um, those kind of moments are probably something that he still has uh, left to improve on. But physically, there's no doubt that he's up to the task. I think earlier in the season of him absolutely boshing Dan Levy into the ground and not many people do that. So he's clearly got that um, athletic edge to, to to play at the very top level. Um, and again, he's growing in confidence every time he takes to the pitch. In terms of who you choose, if everyone's fit, I think Scanlon and Farrell, Chris Farrell, are, are the uh, pretty clear first choice, I would say. Uh, but I think they're the, they're the two obvious ones, I think Scanlon and Chris Farrell. Um, but Goggin has really, really stepped up the, the pecking order. Like last season, Sammy Arnold would have definitely been a, a shoe-in for, for next in line at 13. But Goggin's asked a, a big question of that. Yeah, I agree with Murray. The I think their best combination is the scannell farrell combination because they're different and by being different are even more complementary. I think Scannell is a a more tra- probably old school, traditional type 12 who can distribute, who can be a, a game manager and obviously has a, a really nice cultured left boot and those variations in a game are really helpful and mm. um, particularly again you look at their combinations as a coach you're probably going to look at huge experience and talent in Murray huge talent in Carberry uh, probably less explosive talent in the likes of Scannell but in a, a capacity to 
dial things down and control things and play territory if needs be or be a distributor or be a second out half in the back line. He played, yeah. played a lot of town in school. Exactly. When and we were I, growing up, he was always a, a flyer. Like, yeah, so. and I think it's really, uh, a lot of teams have gone that way in recent years and probably most, the Aussies would have done a lot of it with um, with Gitto and with, um, and more more recently with uh, Bernard Foley and then the English are doing it with um, Farrell and... Um, with Ford and Farrell, Ford, yeah. sorry, Ford, just yeah, sorry. name escaped me. Yeah, um, so yeah, that I I think those two uh, two kind of out half players in in midfield really does help with your distribution and your attack and your game management, and then Farrell being a lovely foil to that as well. Who's so physical and aggressive? When Farrell and Goggin play together, it's a little same same in the sense really direct, really aggressive, really really physically confrontational, and a real question mark for defenses. But in a tough game and a European game. Defences are able to manage that. They're just able, you know, what you want is to ask a couple of questions as opposed to the same question relentlessly. Yeah, we'll get your predictions at the end of the show as per usual. Uh, before we move on to Leinster, though, Murray, you touched upon it there that Munster kind of have a spring in their step. Gloucester, I suppose, by contrast, they've lost three of the last five. They've lost their last two. One of them was 30-15 at home to Sale and I think there was something like 30-16 away to Leicester. Mm. Um it looks like Cipriani will be back, which will make a difference to them. But certainly, if you were looking at the kind of form team coming into this fixture, it's the away side. Yeah, it certainly looks that way. Um, I think they've missed Cipriani hugely. Uh, he's kind of the player they base everything around, naturally enough, is your 10. But their style of play, they use a lot of um, kind of those pullback passes, almost rugby league-esque in how they work in phase play. And he's possibly one of the best in the world at those passes he's extremely good at disguising his intentions his body language never really gives the really clear cue that a defender needs either to shoot or to sit down the front door it's really hard to read until the last second and it seems so simple you know one guy running that decoy line essentially up the front uh, and a back out the back for him to pull that uh, back door pass to he does it really well and he often does it off another pullback pass from one is forward so there's an extra layer of subtlety um, and while we're watching from that nice angle where we can go it's clear where it's going when you're down pitch level mm-hmm. in that kind of I remember Ian Keeley talking about it as in when you zoom in on the PlayStation when you're playing a car racing game and you're in the car and it's suddenly, oh, yeah. suddenly really hard same yeah. with decision making in attack and defence um, and his subtlety there is, is really important for them they score some brilliant tries another guy Ollie Thorley who I think is facing a fitness test uh, just this morning he has been in sensational form for them in, in the Premiership he is so quick it's disgustingly fast it's just how, how quick he can run um, so he's another one to watch out for if he is fit um, but I think just that lack of fluency they have based on Cipriani being out now coming back in and trying to take control of that structure does give Munster a little bit of an advantage there are obviously a few other familiar faces in, in Gerbrandt Grobler there um, Johan van Graal know the likes of uh, Franco Mostert in the second row as well who's been impressive for them so there's a bit of familiarity there but I would agree with you that Munster's momentum is a really nice uh, advantage coming into this Now Murray your interview this week is with uh, none other than Gary Ringrose. Yeah, I popped over to PwC uh, in Dublin. He was announcing his renewal of his partnership with them. Uh, but interesting to catch up with him. I mean, if you're talking about the best outside centres in the world, he's definitely in that conversation now. So just got some thoughts from him about defending at 13, also improvement of his kicking game and also that kind of familiar running style of his uh, that we've seen quite a bit in the last few years. So have you always been at 13? Um, no. I in school I played scrum half until I was in fifth year 
in school and then uh, had a bit of a growth spurt and a coach, Justin Vanstone, who actually coaches in Blackrock, the senior team at the moment, suggested I tried fullback out for a year and then played fullback till kind of October sixth year. And then there was a, a centre there at the time who got injured and filled in at 13 there. And yeah, that was that then and settled, settled yeah. in at 13. Yeah, obviously years of progress since then. How do you, or what are the important things for you now as a 13 that you assess when you're looking at your individual performance, say that went well? Um, there's a long enough list. <laughs> I think I think you'd start probably maybe with, well, you, you could start with defensively. Um, you'd look at your positioning, um, your work rate away from the ball. I think at, at 13 you can, obviously it's important directly when it's in front of you making the right decisions, but I think there's also importance on, on the defensive line away from the ball and, and how you manipulate your defensive line to be ready for the next maybe second or third phase away that, that'll be coming. So um, there's an emphasis on that. And then there's the obvious on the actual tackle area itself. You can't really afford to miss tackles. Um, in the channel because then they're just the 13 channel they get in behind you more often than not and can be detrimental um so to be then after maybe assessing that you look at your individual um tackle area tackle entry yeah potential reads you might have made whether there was the right or wrong decision and usually trying even if it's the wrong decision there's probably something that kind of triggered, like whether you'd seen something or tried to overread. There's usually a reason why one makes a decision, and it, and then kind of looking back and not being maybe too tough, saying, "Okay, well, you can understand why I made that decision, just got it wrong, um, or missed the tackle." So, it's kind of different levels of assessing it, if that makes sense. Yeah, but people talk about it as the hardest position to defend on the pitch, which probably still rings true. Wings, it's a tough life now as well. Yeah, well, do you enjoy yeah. that responsibility? Um, I don't know what it, I wouldn't necessarily personally call it the hardest because there's times I find myself in and around the rook maybe in the first second or third which you say traditionally the front five would be there mm. and I find that tough because <laughs> it's just not what you're used to so I think maybe it's just if you're out there it's not what you're used to. if what players might be used to is why it, it might be particularly tough but um, you know, I think every every position has a really important role in the whole defensive line um, that that if if, if the 13 is narrow, you might have to be narrow because the in and around the rook, maybe the forwards, traditionally the forwards being around there might be doing something wrong that has a knock-on effect on your positioning. Similarly, you could be doing something wrong that has a knock-on effect yeah. on them. So um, I w certainly wouldn't see it as the most important. I think everything's sort of interdependent. On, okay. I mean, there's different ways the wings can defend. Wingers can defend high, which as a 13 gives you a bit more security because you can see them in your eye line and you might back yourself a bit more to go. Um, and so equally, they could be a bit off, which might kind of change your decision-making process in the moment. So, um, yeah, I, I'd see it as, I wouldn't see it as the most important position personally yeah. myself. I think it's reliant on um, the guys around you. Especially, yeah. uh, stating the obvious for a 13 or 12 as well makes a big difference as well. Yeah, if in doubt, just playing the forwards. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> how, yeah. much, how much, like, Obviously, you always had that. It always looked like a natural ability for you to read. And technically, how much over the last couple of years pushing onto the highest level of the game has that been a big focus in terms of around the tackle? Um, yeah, I, I, again, around the ability to read, I think you just, I wouldn't necessarily say I have a natural ability to read that I just did anyway. I think it's as a result of learning off other players um, that have 
been lucky enough to play with, still playing with at the moment. Um, maybe other games, watching other games and seeing what players do. And it's not necessarily just the 13, it can be any any of the backs. Um, and, and ultimately getting it wrong as well, because I, I would get it wrong in training sessions. Um, but then that's how you learn best, really, I think. If, if you push yourself out of your comfort zone and get it wrong, you kind of know whether to do that or not do it again and or what you could do differently. Um, and then obviously technically, it can vary based on the opposition you're coming up against and, and maybe how they play, whether they have a right or left arm uh, handoff, okay. whether they carry the ball in right or left hand, whether they have the traditional Fijian fend. Um, yeah. It can it can vary, so I think each week you're throwing a different challenge between the because you're you're kind of defending as a thirteen like any backs you could be coming against their either their wingers, their twelve or thirteen or fullback in a, in a one on one. So you kind of have to be well, you have to be prepared for each of them would be slightly different, yeah. you know that sort of way. So you technically you'd have to be ready and and adapt slightly to to each of the players. Okay, one of the things that's really stood out probably over the last year two years is your grubber kicking as well which maybe when you're younger wasn't quite to the fore has that been someone something that someone encouraged you on or just you getting the confidence to read that space or, or what's um, that been i think it's a trick I, I think it's just something that i think any good back it's good to have that in the locker if because i think defenses are getting so good now there's a there's a a time and a place when it's necessary to do that to maybe relieve pressure or take pressure off the ten or just put put the opposition under pressure or relieve your own team from pressure so there's a million different things reasons as to why you do it um, but I don't know whether it's it would be encouraged just to make the right decision at the right time it would never be like you should kick loads or don't kick loads or you just kind of um, in the moment, you'd assess whether it's the right decision, whether they have the backfield covered. And yeah. if they do, you'd only be kicking it to straight to their fullback. But if you manage to manipulate their defence a bit, that there is space there, um, it might be the best decision to just take it. So I think it's being challenged to recognise that. Um, so I think every player, I think all backs are, are challenged through in Ireland camp and, and with Leinster to, to be able to to do that, you yeah. know, that sort of way, if, if it's needed. Is it a tricky skill? Like even the one against New Zealand where you just get it on the touchline, then Robin, I can't remember, is Earl's, he smash him into touch. Is it tricky to get that balance <laughs> on him when you're moving? Well, I've got it wrong a fair few times as well. I, don't, I know against, um, was it Exeter? We turned over the ball and it was in the Aviva, pretty much not too dissimilar area of the field. And I walloped it into touch and it was the wrong thing to do. <laughs> but then against New Zealand, did, similar kick and uh, it managed to sit up nicely and it was the right thing to do so um, it can vary I don't know what you just got to back yourself and, and try and do it you do you can practice it definitely and, and I think all centers and, and wingers definitely practice it so when the time comes it's not the first time you're doing it so um, there would be that emphasis and it's, it's something easy for five minutes before training five minutes after training you can just hit 20 balls um, usually with the partner opposites just kicking them back to each other so it's pretty easy to do um, and then it can it can prove helpful in the game if you're able to execute on it. Yeah, just the last one I want to ask you about in terms of attack. Your kind of running style has become quite familiar to fans now. I'm thinking of that Connacht try, even where you're kind of arcing sure. back. Are you? Are there certain little cues you're looking for there? Or are you just kind of wandering um, across the pitch, or what's going through your mind as as you make a run like that? Uh, I don't know. It's because it is. I've made one or two breaks. Just coincidentally is a similar type run I think it just happens to spare the moment sometimes when 
when the defense comes up one side just as you're getting the ball you kind of in the snap like the picture the last picture you've taken you, you don't physically count the defenders but you have an appreciation that there's loads of numbers there so maybe just the odd time you think there's loads there which means there mightn't be as much the other way so you kind of just you turn back and you I mean it can happen that if they defend really well and come up both sides you get smashed five meters behind the gain line um, and it was the wrong thing to do but then the odd time it, it works out which which luckily enough it has um, but it wouldn't be a tactic or you wouldn't overthink it kind of just happens in the moment really and um, yeah I think I've been lucky once or twice with with even that one against Connacht I think Tyke managed to he didn't block anyone so it wasn't illegal <laughs> but he managed to just get my way a little bit which which created a little hole um, yeah so yeah that's when the forwards come in use yeah, so, yeah. listen thanks for chatting to us really no appreciate worries. it thanks very much great to catch up with Gary Ringrose so on his team then this uh, I think in terms of Heineken Champions Cup fixtures certainly in the pool stage it doesn't get much bigger or much more enticing or feverishly anticipated than this one uh, the reigning champions against the old aristocrats eight European Cups between them to lose are in a serious run of form. Uh, 12 games unbeaten, 11 wins, 1 draw. And it could have been so different for them. Um, if you go back to the end of September, they lost 66-15 to Montpellier. Then they lost at home to Cast. They ended that kind of poor run with a, a fairly rudimentary 10-0 win over uh, Agen. And then they go down to the wreck and that debacle with Freddie Burns happens. And that mm-hmm. seems to kind of kickstart not only their... European campaign but uh, a really good run of form domestically as well yeah it's been a thrill to watch for me personally I have to say we spoke about it kind of briefly in a show a couple of weeks ago just the revival of Toulouse um, and the excitement that's adding and it's interesting at the very outset of this campaign you would look to this fixture and been like oh it won't be that big a game um, but now it's just as you say it's 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 potentially a, a European classic and they're coming with so much confidence and belief in the style of rugby they're playing it's been really interesting that they're kind of gone back to almost classical to lose traits but it's in a more slightly more structured way as it tends to be in modern rugby everything is based around their tra- their kind of transitional phases from defense or kick return and going into their attack there and having so much energy in that aspect of the game and the crop of players they have is so suited to that style of play the fact that it's based on a, a massive crop of homegrown players coming through again in in the likes of Thomas Ramos and um, Entomac the, at ten or twelve, and a host of others. They've seven in the French squad again now, and that looks like mm. more like a French squad that we recognise. There's always been a mm. Toulouse kind of core to it. Um, the fact that a lot of those guys are young as well is really encouraging. On top of that, they also have that bit of experience. Like Uge and Maydard have been brilliant. Like they yeah, rolled back. Maydard made that tackle on Burns. Exactly. That's, that's saving tackle, which kind of kicks out. Superb against Leinster as well. Yeah. So they've got that bit of core of experience. Even a guy like Maxi Mermoz, who's not playing a lot of games, but he's come home. He's a Toulouse boy as well and come back at tail end of his career and adding that mm. little bit of experience to the squad. So they've been clever in how they've put it together. We spoke about them getting Reggie Sanez in as well. Mm. And he's been a really kind of key influence. He has that, he, he's a kind of epitome of that Toulouse spirit, um, just in terms of his approach to life, about enjoying himself and uh, taking punts on things and a bit of risk as well. So it's been an absolute pleasure to watch. I can't wait to see how they perform away um, at a packed out RDS against the reigning champions as well. And and the fact that they got that win at home will, will give them a lot of belief in, in going into this game, particularly with, um, it looks like Johnny Sexton out as well. Yeah, on the flip side of, of Sexton, we'll touch upon that again uh, in a moment, but just to 
kind of sum up what Toulouse are doing at the moment in, in terms of rolling back the years. Yeah. Andy, like, Thomas Ramos is the top scorer in the competition, but he's only fifth in penalties kicked, which kind of, he's he's the top yeah. uh, conversion kicker, but, like, it kind of shows the approach that they're taking to the tournament, really. Yeah, well, like, just straight on the record, like, I love Toulouse. I've little love hearts in my eyes watching them on TV. <laughs> I've always, um, and I I had researched into it in, in recent times. They, the... They didn't win a French championship from 1947 to 1985, so they weren't always brilliant. But they, they kind of their their soul started to emerge when they brought in Pierre Villepre, who was French legend, and his he got a, a Hall of Fame award this year or 2018 from World Rugby. And when they awarded him his Hall of Fame, and it was probably a mix of how he played and how he coached, they said his coaching creed was flexibility and adaptability but not organisation and that's that was kind of on the record as why he was getting this Hall of Fame award so he he took over in the 80s and sold the kind of Toulouse and French rugby style that we're all so familiar with um, started to really come to the fore and Toulouse won a championship in 85 and continued on from there and so did French rugby and, and the likes of Villepre then got a, a back-to-back Grand Slam with France in 1997 and 1998. And nobody has done that in the professional era except France. Well, what happened was um, they started to move away from it. They started to normalise, whether the, the multi-millionaire owners of the French clubs were trying to, you know, they tried to increase the size of their playing roster on the cheap and they paid buttons to get Pacific Islanders in who, you know, there's loopholes. The game became very physical and lost its subtlety. They moved away from generating young French talent to come through and they had marquee players from New Zealand and all of that started to happen. Now, in recent 18 months, they've started to reverse that and buck the trend and I don't think it's any accident that the likes of Toulouse are, are reaping the rewards. And, and going back to the philosophy of Pierre Villepreux, bringing in a guy like Reggie Son, who's a romantic, who's a philosopher, who's who's embracing all the things that they're very historically attuned with, um, is shown in their play. And while there are intangibles to that and it's all very flowery and nice, they're really, really physical and really effective with it. So... That's where my love affair is with <laughs> Toulouse. I, I think it it makes for this incredible, incredibly interesting game that's going to happen on uh, at lunchtime on Saturday. Because if there's a team who can imitate or better Toulouse, it's probably Leinster, given the style they've played with and the and the the physicality they've showed, but the style they've won with in the recent ten to fifteen years at key moments. Um, it's been with a kind of a swagger in their attack as well. So I think it's going to be a pretty special game of rugby, yeah. Mm. Villepreux is such an interesting figure in the yeah. history of rugby. Yeah. Unfortunately, like a lot of the literature based around him is obviously in French, so it's tricky for yeah. us to get a deep understanding. But the number of coaches who cite him as a major reference, that kind of general movement approach, yeah. as you say, where, and it sounds like such a simple concept, but <laughs> playing what you see and yeah. reacting to the, the changing pictures well, in front it, of you. It goes back to that Ian Keatley reference you made when you sit in the tiny little cockpit of a race car. It's a lot harder than, you know, looking at it from afar. But when it's done well, it looks so simple. Mm. But like the likes of Cipriani being able to disguise things and and engage a defender in front of him, similarly make, if a, if a runner runs a line 
uh, as a threat and the decoy does its job properly, it's almost impossible for one guy to defend those two things. The problem is it's done very lazily. It's done as like we're going we're gonna to imitate that badly and defenders drift off it. But mm. when it's done really well, it's impossible to defend and it gives flexibility in your game to attack. And that's exactly what Toulouse have done for a number of years. You yeah. know, it's, it's, um, it's attack done well, but with great simplicity. They all look so calm when they're in possession. Mm. It's like you, you mentioned, sometimes it's done lazily, sometimes it's done too rigidly. Players yeah. are so uptight. Oh my God, I yeah, have to yeah. be in the right place here. You see someone like Roman Entomac coming through now. He's so loose yeah, and languid yeah. in his possession. And also, they're a team who always have the ball in two hands. All these young guys coming yeah, through yeah. now, it's it's always back into two hands. Use your fend, get it back into two hands. Um, and it's so fluid and fluent. And it's I think it's just brilliant because Roby because everything's professionalized so much, sometimes you're worried yeah. that it's just getting so homogenous. Everyone's playing the same thing. Totally Everyone true. wants to do the same move. Everyone wants to have the same structure. And I think while they do with the physicality and they obviously have to have set piece, I think it's just fantastic that there is a different uh, belief system, a different approach. That's why I love, like I lived in France for a year, I just love it over there because yeah, yeah. though it's so close to home, they think about things differently. Sure. Their philosophy in life, as you mentioned with Reggie Sanez, is different. And I think you can see that in this Toulouse team. So it's really exciting and I hope that they stay in contention throughout this season. We were we were chatting about the um I was chatting to a mate, he's actually a boxer. He's he's competing for he's for the uh, Irish National Heavyweight Championship in a couple of weeks in the National Stadium. Tony Brown is his name. And oh, yeah, uh, he was uh it was really interesting because the, the, the crossover between sports so often is something you mentioned, the the fluidity of movement, the relaxation that they appear to have. He said, like, he, he models, tries, he said, he's really trying and it doesn't come naturally to model his style on Cuban boxers. And if you watch them, their shoulders are relaxed, their hips are relaxed. But when they punch, they punch and it's, an, it's a sucker punch and it hits you hard. There's an element of, you said, you mentioned the word, things being homogenized in professional sport. You see these guys who are very muscular, who, who look quite stiff and rigid, who can run into a brick wall all day long, but they don't give you any semblance of being relaxed physically, no fluidity in movement. And the same goes for mixed martial arts, the same goes for great footballers, hurlers, cricketers, golfers. The guys who look the most relaxed are generally the guys who pack the biggest punch. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's brilliant to see that coming back into the game through to lose so. there's there's a thing about sports where in which you use your arms where if you are overthinking things or if you're kind of panicky um or uptight your muscles are more tense mm. and therefore they're you're less likely to actually perform yeah. and it's a massive part of why, why golfers lose their swing for example you could have the best swing in the world and then the next week or you know a couple of months later you're 144th in the world it, it's just a a huge aspect of it is mental like Tony Brown who you mentioned there will know that more than most if you're going into a boxing ring and you're kind of uptight you're probably going to get sparked and you're probably yeah. not going to land any shots um, mm. and definitely Toulouse are playing with a kind of um, oh, I don't know joie de vivre is that, is that a, yeah. a term you, you'll know it Murray yeah, uh, I did one. German so uh, <laughs> no you nailed, <laughs> I didn't. It. You nailed it there, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah and it, it's enjoying yourself can be it can make so much of a difference you mm. said it there seven seven players in the French squad uh, this year there was one Toulouse player in the French mm. squad last year for the Six Nations so a coming force now the Leinster fans at home listening would be like well what about us yeah. <laughs> uh, no in fairness you did refer to them there Andy and it is um I suppose, like, even if we're to look at what Toulouse are doing, they are, in one sense, replicating what Leinster have been doing and what we've been amazed by in that they're bringing through players that are extremely young. You mentioned uh, Roman Entomac, who's 19 years old. Uh, they have a prop forward there who's 19 as well, whose name escapes me now. 
But um, we do have a question here from Don Connolly. And it's about uh, Leinster at 10 this weekend. Um, and with Sexton out, he asks, can Ross Byrne fill his boots? I think the evidence of Ross Byrne stepping into big fixtures in the last year or so would suggest that, yes, he can do it. You think back to those Montpellier games last season, um, and he did really well there. Munster in the semi-final in the Pro 14 did really well there. And has probably been frustrated that he's not gotten more opportunities mm-hmm. in, in those bigger fixtures as well. Um, it's been interesting the last couple of weeks, obviously, that Kieran Frawley has got quite a lot of exposure. I think last weekend was based around the, the doubts over Johnny Sexton's calf. So they probably decided to pull him from that game. And it was great for Kieran Frawley to get more exposure. He did really well. Um, and also rebounded from that intercept error. I thought his passing game was really kind of brave. He was square to the line, going at the line and, and making really good decisions. Um, but I think Ross Byrne, in terms of how he manages the team, has really grown. Mm-hmm. I think the de- biggest development in his game has been around his uh, passing, his, um, like, talk about fluidity, his fluidity in, in attack and, and making those decisions on the ball, allowing guys outside him to, to be in good positions. So I think I think he's been really impressive over the last uh, last two seasons. His kicking, obviously, is a strength. And also, you've probably seen him develop that... Um, I guess fiery confidence that outhaves need to to boss their teams. So I remember early game this season, and he gave an earful to Scott Fardy, who looked very surprised to kind of get it. <laughs> Told about answering him back, but goes, "All right, that's my out half. That's his his job." Um, so yeah, I think he's really grown into it, and he'll be massively eager for this challenge. The interesting one, I guess, is is twelve outside. Robbie Henshaw is back in training now, and we've seen him make these startling returns. Mm-hmm. Uh, you think of the Scarlet's match last season when he came back from a shoulder reconstruction and absolutely dominated physically. This time he's coming back from a hamstring. Potentially you want to be careful with that. So you don't know if Lencer are going to uh, rush him back in. Um, but I think having a slightly unsettled 10-12 combination is a little bit of a disadvantage for Leinster as well as losing James Lowe to that suspension out in the wing. So there's a, a big decision to make there. Um, either Adam Burns, really good form going forward. I think Barry Daly's a, a good defender. So there are a couple of interesting selections there for Leinster and certainly... Um, I would say it overall slightly weakens them. Yeah, just to touch upon the Ulster game as well, as we, we said we would do it at the top of the show. Um, it was a fairly straightforward win in the end, but uh, one player to stand out, uh, Andy, well, there was a few, but one of them certainly was Conor O'Brien in the centre for Leinster, who may be in the mix this weekend. Yeah, and... Um, yeah, he's. I mean, he's taken every single opportunity that's come his way which is what you need to do when you're Conor O'Brien or the likes of Conor O'Brien because he's not an established name. He's had to go and, and play elsewhere. He's probably had to go and find a resilience that maybe guys who get straight into the academy and push through, they don't have to. I mean, they, they have to turn up and they have to do their job well. But when you don't get that initial push from a young age or you have to go elsewhere, I think you've got a, um, you've got a little ace card in your sleeve um which is just toughness to get to get to where he got to he had to carve it out for himself and then he to come and he comes back into the Leinster fold and then as soon as he gets a shot um what I've seen over the years I was I arguably was that uh protected cosseted young guy who went through the academy and thought it was my divine right to be involved with Leinster rugby at an 18 19 20 you know and and obviously I got found found out pretty quick because that's how sport works. But when I looked around at peers who'd done it the hard way, um, they were the ones who stuck around for longer periods, who didn't get selected initially because they just had that drive to show everyone and prove people wrong. And I think he's got that in spades. And I, I mean, apart that, that's all very non-technical. 
Um, but I think that's what's driving him and, and what's seeing him through to take opportunities. Um, and, I, you know, it's nice to see Leinster and any Irish team um, using guys who haven't come through the, the very typical structured approach through the academies. We touched on it last week and I'd love to see more of it, you know, through the club scene as well. But, mm. um, yeah, it's been it's been brilliant to see. I, I, I don't know how close he is to starting on Saturday. He's I in mean. register for the squad, so yeah. he's in the mix, certainly. Rory yeah. O'Loughlin maybe would be the... Mm. Certainly the physically strongest option and no yeah. Reed we obviously saw playing Bath who has a lovely passing range. Yeah. Um but potentially in that Bath game where it was very narrow, it didn't really suit him, the amount of collisions. Um so there are a couple of options there. obviously Henshaw is, is the frontline option and if he's fit and ready to go, then get him in there. Um I think on Connor Bryan as well, like he's from Mullingar as well. It's always good to see the guys come yeah. from different pathways. He he spent a lot of time playing AAL rugby with Contarf as well. Mm. Good to to see that kind of development pathway as well. And as you say, like he would have watched other guys on that under twenties team mm. accelerating on, and you can just see it in his energy on the pitch. Mm. He just wants every touch he can get, yeah, and as long a touch as he can get every time, yeah. um, as well as making good decisions. So that's really good for Leinster. This game is would be a big ask, I think, for him. Yeah. Um, but having said that, you know, there's the the energy and and the form and and the confidence flowing through him. Yeah, and even to be registered in the squad is is a little bit of a reward, I think, for for some fine form when he has grasped the opportunities. Andy, as you mentioned, um, just just briefly before we move on from Leinster, then if you were to look at the first game between these two teams and an absolutely thrilling game it was, what do Leinster need to change, or where do you think the game will differ from that uh, fixture in France? I think they'll just be a little bit more controlled. Um, it was a strange Leinster performance in that especially they got back into the wing position and then again it was just lacking that control is something you'd associate with them so much um having said that it, it took a pretty special kind of try from toulouse the really good intercept um and some lovely offloading which they excel in um yeah i think they'll just attempt to control it a little bit more keep Toulouse um in their own 22 rather than giving them those turnover opportunities on which they thrive like kicking Lucy to them is literally a guarantee mm. of a, a score you saw last weekend against Aja and a beautiful try it was Maydard Entomac Uge ball in two hands mm. really good uh, work off the ball and it was interesting that down in Toulouse I can remember I think I tweeted out during the game you know coming into the final quarter I'm almost relying on cliches in my head Leinster are going to pull clear here and certainly that was a belief within Leinster as well that they would have them um, physically in, in that kind of quarter. But that has not been the case with Toulouse this season. So I think that's been something they've added to their classical, I guess, strengths. Um, and they've been able to outlast a lot of teams, both domestically and, and even in Europe as well. So um, that was probably a, a lesson for Leinster as well, that when they got into that good position, uh, just don't take the foot off the off the pedal again. They were loose that game. It was... It was a strange kind of performance, particularly after the Wasps win the week before um, and the peak they hit there. So uh, mentally, probably as well, I think they would have learned a lot. Yeah, it's only the great teams that create those cliches as well. You know, they're there for a reason. Also, I, lo- I just love the combination of Maydar, Entomac, Uge in that move. Like two yeah. guys in their 30s on either side of a 19-year-old Maydar. Mm still looking vaguely like a wolf, like there's something beautiful yeah. about it. And you can just imagine Uge and, and Maydar down in the Place Capital with a glass of red, a fag sticking outside their mouth, <laughs> yeah. chatting about how many tries they're going to score. Uh, yeah. Entomac inside playing yeah. Fortnite. Yeah, it's, be- <laughs> yeah. It's, it's beautiful. The big one for Ulster, they're at home at Ravenhill to Racing. 
and their destiny is in their own hands. This is an absolutely massive game for them. We have spoken in the past on this show about how we didn't expect them to be in this position. They've probably defied our expectations, if not necessarily their own. So what do they need to do in order to um, get the W this weekend, Murray? It's uh, one of those games where I personally see them winning for some reason purely on the basis that it's Ravenhill and there's this kind of intangible, I don't know, the, the home advantage up there on a kind of a, a must-win game is, is worth 10 points in my head. Yeah. Go with your gut feeling. I will. I've, I've been will. reading about that a bit recently, actually. It's, you're always supposed to go with your gut feeling. I've if, been saying it to people a lot, but I thought it kind yeah. of was just... Malcolm no. Gladwell, isn't it? Yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah. Blink. Yeah, just go with your Whatever gut. Whatever's so your first that's instinct. Gonna it's there for a reason, I guess, your instinct, <laughs> um, right? Yeah. I'm it's, pretty it's, sure. It's, <laughs> <laughs> survival. Most of the time. Yeah. <laughs> Don't get eaten by a lion. <laughs> yeah. uh, I guess just the last couple of weeks have, have underlined what we spoke about in the podcast, really. There's very, two very different Ulster teams. Um, the team that played the Scarlets twice is clearly much stronger than than the very young and uh, I guess inexperienced team that's going to learn a lot from the last few weeks missing the the key guys now they're back to full strength albeit missing Ian Henderson which is a a big blow and I guess what do they need to do they need to fill that gap pretty well and pretty muscularly because his ability to choke tackle to dominate um, contact to be really good in the mall and the line out obviously as well is is huge for them and was in those Scarlets games I think the front row of O'Sullivan and Moore and Best need to get back to that scrummaging peak they hit in those two games as well um, and not giving up the penalties we saw against Connacht which was a, a, a regression probably to what we saw earlier in the season from Ulster scrum um, Billy Burns coming back in will be really important for them I think he's joined top for try assists in this tournament both with his kicking and his passing he's been really creative and he's had a real nice variety in his kind of attacking decision making um, and Will Addison as well getting him on the ball because he seems to make, make something happen every time he touches it he's got great energy and it's weird that he's a very kind of lateral player he he tends to run towards the touchline virtually every time he has the ball that kind of little hitch step and, and bursts to the outside of a defender but it so often creates that really tough decision for someone on the edge or the second last defender and they often end up biting in and he'll slip a, a pass to a teammate into a hole or else they won't bite in on him and, and his pace is really deceptive um, so he's a really integral part of it as well Rassing probably have been a little bit more inconsistent this season than last season albeit adding a new kind of prong to their threats in Russell and Zebo. that combination has been really enjoyable to watch uh, really instinctive um, albeit with a little bit of kind of pattern almost there's a lot of inside passes there's a lot of Russell again tying in two defenders and slipping Zebo away but they're working really well in tandem and seem to be great mates off the pitch as well so uh, it is a, a fascinating matchup I would think Ulster still have enough to win at home and, and certainly in Jacob Stockdale they have the a really lethal finisher as well he's scored in every game so far so it's about those guys getting that mall scrum um, and that kind of stuff right without Ian Henderson to give Burns, Addison, Stockdale uh, an opportunity to strike Yeah uh, Simon Zebo will be probably looking to prove himself I think to onlookers and particularly one Mr Schmidt mm-hmm. uh, I think 9 tries and 16 appearances something like that he has this season you mentioned there the the relationship he's, he's cultivated already with Finn Russell. Um, but like it, it, you mentioned cliches earlier, it, it's one of those where Rassin could actually turn up and, and just kind of go ham on it. Like, But by the same token, if Ulster make a strong start, could you see them kind of getting the job done? I don't see 
a, a Rossing capitulation happening okay. if if Ulster were to get a good start. I think they've shown a level of uh, toughness in their game that has been absent in a lot of um, French sides away from home and, and right through until obviously being narrow uh, runners up in the tournament last year. I think they showed a level of professionalism and uh, a willingness to embrace going away from home and turning up which a lot of French sides, you know, which is so hard to fathom at times, just don't seem to go for. Obviously, they have a different, the, the French culture in terms of their top 14 and where they value that relative to Europe, is, I think it's slightly different to where it is a clear, in our in our game, the Pro 14 is a clear second to European competition. It's probably a bit more of a blurred line in France, which may go some way to explaining why they sort of abdicate responsibility away from home at times and you would have thought with professionalism that had changed but it hadn't um but the one guys who who seem to be booked that a bit are are harassing um the likes of Zebo will i think in endlessly have a, a point to prove when he plays in irish rugby because he's arguably peaking in his career and on the outside looking in and excluded. Um, and probably, you know, there's probably something that hits him in the sense that, you know, a different rule was made for Johnny when he went to the same club and that's probably tough for him to take. He's a competitor. and um, But I think Finn Russell is, is probably one of their key signings for the year. He's, to me, he's the type of 10 that I know our style is different and Johnny is, is a different player. But as a, as the game is changing in the last two to three years. The Finn Russell style seems to be becoming more and more prevalent, and you see that with Burns with Ulster too. Guys who are who are probably, um, you know, less controlled and more unpredictable and break the game up because that's certainly what seems to be working in terms of an attacking game. And uh, so I, you know, I think it's going to be again a really open. Uh, exciting game of rugby. I don't anticipate Ulster are going to change their style. They've been really willing to to make mistakes and be creative. Um, and Rossing will attack from anywhere at any given chance. And it's so very unpredictable stuff. Um, but I I suspect a brilliant atmosphere and um yeah a quality game. Maybe maybe littered with mistakes and turnovers and counter attacks. But that's great stuff to watch. Like like just looking at the pool. A, like a losing bonus point isn't the worst outcome for Ulster. Obviously, you're not going to go in targeting that, but they're five points behind Racing. They've Leicester away uh, next weekend, or sorry, the weekend after this, and Leicester are out of the competition. So you'd expect Ulster probably to finish strongly there, certainly if there's a, a Champions Cup quarterfinal on the line. So I think um, staying really competitive, um, and really they should be, even looking at the teams on paper, uh, wouldn't be the worst outcome. Yeah, it's definitely one of those pools where you could see two teams coming out of it um, as opposed to Monsters, maybe. That looks a little bit more dodgy on that end. But uh, to move on, we have a couple of questions actually before we wrap up with predictions. And the winner of Behind the Lines number two this week has to be Don Conley on account of the fact that he's asked a second very good question. Word of Kean Keller moving back to Leinster, can Connacht progress as a feeder team? And Keen McIntyre also asks any thoughts on Keen Keller's move back to Leinster, which hasn't actually been confirmed yet, uh, but is going to happen. Let's be honest. Um, any thoughts there, Lance? I don't think 
I'm not sure what how he's phrased. Can Connacht progress as a feeder team? As in, if they lose the likes of Keane Kelleher? I suppose he perceives them to be a feeder team at the moment if they're losing the likes of Kelleher. Well, they've been fed for a long time. Like well, Keane Kelleher came down to them from yeah. Leinster. So it's not like Connacht, if, if Keane Kelleher was from Monavay or he was from, you know, a local club down in, in Galway where they're losing him to Leinster. He came from Leinster. Now he's going back. So I don't, I think Connacht are doing brilliantly in terms of how they develop their their young players. The game is growing. You get 8,000 people last week and a set out there. I don't, you know, when I played in Connacht, that happened once in a pre-World Cup warm-up for South Africa in 07. They went and won the World Cup, but that was a set out. You never got close to that other than you know, a three to four thousand crowd. So they're they're Connacht won't I certainly don't think they're viewing themselves as a as a club who loses their best talent now to the bigger provinces. I think what they're doing is they're being very resourceful. The door is open for guys who haven't made it in other provinces to come in and push on and but they're also really smart in terms of how they've developed from their under 16, under 18, under 20s. How many times have they won the Interpro Championship in recent years, like between under 18s and under 20s? I think twice, have they? Yeah, certainly. So like they're, really they're a strong entity within themselves for what they've developed. So um, I don't think uh, I'd agree with, well, Don's more asked a question than given a statement. Yeah, but, um, maybe maybe I've misinterpreted. Like maybe he maybe he actually means we should have Don on. Really, does anyone have Don's <laughs> number? Just get but, him on the phone. But I suppose a feeder club, it, it's like almost you you loan players out to them in order to develop them, and maybe that's what he means with, with Kelleher in that he's moved down there and become a a potentially big player, and now yeah. he's been taken back. Like maybe is that that's not a sustainable model to his mind. But I don't know if it's yeah. But I mean. Connacht obviously would have preferred to hang on to him, but they certainly have other options in the back three. I know mm. he's in good form at the moment, and um, and certainly he's made a personal decision that he feels suits his career best, which is uh, good to see because you want a, a player who's happy with what they're doing and where they're where they're playing their rugby. But I mean, they have Adi Lokan, they have um, plenty. They have Matt Healy, they have Kyle Godwin's played a lot on the wing this season, so I think they'll be okay. Like the the, the budgeting thing is massive; they're equally funded now, while there are a few mm. and. I guess old kind of, I don't know, stereotypes probably ring, are hard to get over, sorry. Um, but certainly in the in the recent past, even Alton Delan, like he's re-signed, mm. word by all, like by all accounts, Munster were in for him yet again for a second contract in a row, um, trying to get him home as they would see it to Munster. But he's decided to stay there and, and you're seeing a lot of guys do that. They are going to lose players from time to time because they're not competing potentially for a Champions Cup uh, win. Um, but certainly I think it's changed a lot in the last couple of years. They're, going to develop a new uh, high performance centre and stadium um, and that'll add a lot to their ability to hang on to players and actually attract a, a couple more players with a, an even bigger budget so um, no I wouldn't see them as a feeder team and even Jack Carty as well as, as re-signed as well so yeah I think there's plenty of positives there as well as the disappointment of losing a guy who's in really good form yeah Andy Friend kind of rejected the, the term or a similar term during the week as well mm-hmm. but thank you uh, nonetheless for your question Don can we talk someday about what high performance centers are? <laughs> I don't. I know they're, they're, it's a word that's used so much. It's it's a big building where you assume everything that goes on in there is of the highest caliber. I always just it's assume it's just a lot of good good equipment. Basically. Oh, good equipment. Okay, as opposed to good people or good ideas. Ah, good people. As it's well, of the highest caliber. Well. Whatever goes inside those centers. Yeah. Well, it did change the. Uh... There's no medium performance centers there. <laughs> 
Okay, are you keeping tabs in 2019 as to who is in the lead? With We've given that up. <laughs> We're going to go chronologically again. Monster away at Gloucester, starting with yourself, Murray Kinsler. I think Monster will win um, narrowly. I think there is enough momentum behind them now. And I think the boost of having Farrell fit as well is just really, really big. So Danny Cipriani back for Gloucester makes a big difference. But I think Monster will get the job done away. And he done. I agree, yeah. I think... I think uh, the inclusion of Farrell there as well is a huge boost for them. It would have been, we wouldn't have batted an eyelid had the knee injury not happened, but it's the, the joys of a good story arc. Everyone everyone on edge, will he make it, won't he make it? Um, now we're on the edge of our seats to see how he'll do, carrying probably a, still a bit of a knee injury into that game, and can he be effective? But um, they are... If Peter O'Mahony is smiling at all and he's smiling in press conferences, they're on the crest of a wave in terms of confidence. And uh, I see them carrying that through on Friday night. Leinster at home to Toulouse. Murray Kitzler. I'm going to go for a Leinster home win. Uh, obviously, Johnny Sexton missing is a big factor. Um, or If it's confirmed tomorrow, we can, we can see now that you never quite know until the, the, the team is named. But um, I do think Leinster have enough... Like. You can't just can't forget about the quality of that pack. Um, I think Ross Byrne is more than capable of guiding them home. Have you done? Yeah, I think um, Ross Byrne is very much uh, an unsung hero in recent eighteen months for Leinster. He's 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 unflappable. He's got a brilliant capacity to run a game without getting noticed all that well, and that's his job is to make everyone else look better. Like a, like a good quarterback or like a very good referee, you don't notice them in an 80-minute game and it flows. Um, so I think it'll, if he starts, it'll be quite suited to him and I think it'll be quite suited to Leinster on Saturday and I think Leinster will win by uh, 10-ish points. 10-ish? That's ten-ish, confidence. Yeah. That's, that mm. is confidence. Minus or starting 10 and you still win by 10-ish. Ulster at home too. Rassing, I'll start with yourself this time, Andy. Um... I think Ulster will win um, narrowly. I think uh, it'll be a, a game that will be thrilling and uh, mistake-ridden and full of counter-attacks and good tries. And I think uh, Ulster in the last 15 minutes with the help of a really boisterous home crowd will, will push through. Thrills and, and spills. Yes, literally. Yeah. Uh, Murray, your thoughts? Yeah, I don't end on a negative note, but I, I think oh, they'll... Oh, don't then. I think then they will don't. lose. I'm just trying to be honest here. Um, having said that, I think a losing bonus point, um, picking that up would, would be a fine result. And I think they'll um, win away in Leicester next weekend um, and and probably get out of that pool. So, yeah, I think it'll be a really good game. But I, I just see Rassing um, having enough to, to get it done away from home. Ah, well, you kind of turned your own lemon into lemonade there, in fairness. There was a little, <laughs> uh, a little caveat. We like that. Uh, that is all we've got time for. Uh, Connacht, of course, playing Sale as well at home in another tabletop and clash. Uh, I think we all fancy Connacht to win that one. Thanks a million for tuning in. Thanks a million as well for the great questions. The standard of questions is actually getting better every week. Um, the book winner is Don Connolly. Congratulations, Don. We will be in touch. Enjoy the rugby over the weekend, and we will be back next Thursday and just a brief reminder that if you want to get more for the game join Heineken Rugby Club whose members enjoy exclusive rewards like match tickets and more visit HeinekenRugbyClub.com remember to enjoy Heineken responsibly and visit drinkaware.ie on how to do so till next week take it easy